a few years ago, there was a great tragedy when uh, the pilots of Asiana Flight 214 approached San Francisco on July 6, 2013. The pilots were in a state-of-the-art Boeing 777. And what happened there is that some of the runway equipment was shut down for maintenance. And the pilots could not do what is called a precision landing. In other words, they had to rely on their skills to manually land this gigantic jumbo jet on the runway. And this is called a visual approach. A visual approach is really uh, a, a pilot's skill and him eyeballing certain markers on the runway and then manually landing the jumbo jet on the runway. For Captain Lee, who disengaged the autopilot 90 seconds before touchdown, suddenly realized they were too slow and too low. By then, it was too late. The 777 violently touched down on the runway, but it was too fast. The airplane veered off the runway threshold and eventually crashed, and it led to many fatalities. In the accident report, Captain Lee and his first officer, they were blamed. And what came out of the report was the captain, who, by the way, he was an instructor too, lacked practical understanding of a visual approach. You see, he had all the theory under the belt, but he never practiced it. He never put the theory to practice, and that day, he, he had to land that jumbo jet manually, and it ended up in disaster. And if we look at Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, if you open up your Bibles to, to Colossians uh, chapter 1, I think uh, often uh, church, churches face a similar threat of too much theory and too little practice. Let me read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12 for you. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that God fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There was a Gnostic element in the church at Colossae. People were preoccupied with acquiring knowledge. They prided themselves and how much they knew because the more you knew about God and the deeper things of God, the more profound your relationship with God. Knowledge equaled relationship. 
However, in the church, many individuals were very obsessed with knowing the quote-unquote secret and deeper things of God, but it was an academic exercise. It was mystical, it was theoretical, but it never had any impact on the way that people lived. And they didn't really grow closer in their relationship with God. Paul points that out in chapter 221. He, he says your, your religion is a self-made religion. He says it's, a, it's got the, all the appearances of wisdom, but it has no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Paul develops something here in the first chapter that lays the foundation for the church about one's relationship with the living God. Paul is saying, yes, there must be much learning, but that learning must translate into living. And that, by the way, is the title of my message today, Learning and Living. Learning and Living. Paul's prayer here speaks of those who came to faith. These are fledglings in the faith. And he says that you ought to be learning. You ought to be learning, but you also ought to be living out what you are learning. But that learning that turns into living will translate into a deeper and more profound relationship with the living God. And I will explain that as we go along. And I'm going to use this simple three-point outline. Uh, step one, which is primarily based on verse 9, is learning God's will. Step two, doing God's will, which is from verse 10. And then, as a result, we will be growing in God's will, verse 11. Churches often, and like yourselves, love learning. That's great. We welcome teaching, we welcome the study of theology, the teaching of doctrine, we want to deep dive into the Word of God, and that ought to be encouraged, but we got to always ask ourselves how much of that translates into our character and conduct, right? And that's uh, Paul's point here. If you look at verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, your, your salvation, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask God that, here's the purpose, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In what way? In what way? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in what type of way in a way that results in spiritual wisdom and understanding number one or step one paul is praying for them to learn god's will paul is obviously uh, taking an aim here at the Gnostics. He's taking Gnostic vocabulary, but he gives it proper meaning. You see, we live in a day and age where people use Christian terminology. We say the same things, but we use different dictionaries, 
right? And so these folk were using words, and Paul was taking these words back, and he was giving it proper meaning. So he takes the word filled, which is in Gnostic writings, that's a very popular word, plero, and the plero, or the, the filling, he says there, we, I pray that you will be filled, that your mind will be saturated with what? Biblical truth. Your mind needs to be saturated with biblical truth. Colossians 3.16, let the words of Christ richly dwell in you. So studying and learning is of essence for the Christian, and there must be no guesswork when it comes to knowing God's will. We ought to know God's will. But I think Paul is even more specific. He wants us to know God's will specifically in terms of how we ought to live. A Christian has to have no uh, mixed thoughts about how they are to live. And so Paul really wants them to understand God's will in terms of character and conduct. The second phrase I want to unpack there for you is that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here's a plural string of words in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We can't separate it or else we will break this string of pearls. It begins with saying spiritual wisdom, which is, of course, in contrast with what? Worldly wisdom. Chapter 2.23 and James 3.15 speaks of the earthly wisdom, which is sensual and demonic. He's talking of spiritual wisdom. And of course, Paul is also thinking of something like Proverbs 2.10. If I could take you to Proverbs 2.10 for a second. Um, The proverb writer is saying there, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will delight you. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will delight you. But if you go back to verse 6, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so Paul is taking this idea of wisdom and understanding and is combining it. He's taking two Greek words, sophos and sunesis, and he combines them in one sentence. You may remember from 1 Kings 3.9 that, uh, that Solomon was given what? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom. But, but if you think of it in 1 Kings 3.9, how Solomon asks for it. He says, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. And so here, Paul is taking this concept of wisdom from the Old Testament, which is basically the consistent application of Torah, which after a while becomes a mental reflex. You develop it like a muscle. You, you, you do the right thing, you apply the law of God over and over and over, and after a while it becomes natural. But as that mental muscle develops, at some point uh, it will also uh, coincide with this thing called understanding, sunesis, which is a Greek word that 
essentially speaks of discernment. It speaks of discernment, which we see there in Proverbs 2.6. We see it in 2 Timothy 2.7. And this is often, I think, in, 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 in my journey in Christianity and being around Christians who know a lot about the Bible, who study a lot, who deep dive, uh, often it's the, the application that they don't have clarity of. And because the application is not there, the discernment is not there. Would you agree with me in today's time, discernment is lacking, right? Let me give you a reason why discernment is lacking. If you could go to Hebrews 5.4, I want to show you something there. There's a clock here that flipped over. I don't know what's this for. Do, do, you, do, I, do you guys have to be somewhere today? <laughs> <laughs> I've got my fishing pole in there. I just want you guys to check the bopper for me. My fishing license is expiring at noon, so I got to catch something before... But I'll be fishing for men today. How about that? Hebrews 5.12. Okay, Hebrews 5.12. He says there, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. And I want you to you think about that word accustomed to the word of uh, righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have the senses trained to discern good and evil. So look at the, this concept of discerning right from wrong, good from bad. How does that happen? Discernment comes from applying God's word. He says there in verse 14, because of the lack of application, the lack of practice, the lack of doing, that Greek word is praxis, the practical application of what you learn, because that is not happening, you lack discernment. So you ask yourself, why do people in our time lack discernment or clear understanding of right and wrong, good doctrine from bad doctrine, is because they don't apply what they learn. And that's as simple as it, as it is. This idea of sunesis, this understanding that Paul is developing for us in Colossians 1.9, it really boils down to this skill that a, a soldier has of applying a certain skill and technique in every battle situation. He's given certain tools, and that tool must be used with wisdom and understanding. You see, we learn many principles from the Word of God, but how many of those principles go from the classroom into the boardroom? Or from the classroom, the Sunday school classroom, into the hospital room? How many Bible teachings end up 
staying behind in the lecture room and not making its way into someone's living room. Isaiah 6, 9, which Jesus often quotes, he said, Go and tell this people, they keep on listening, but they do not perceive. They keep on looking, but they don't understand. Right? So there's a clear difference in the Bible between knowing stuff and understanding stuff. If you think of this idea of how do I understand something, it really comes through the doing. If, you, if I say to you, I really understand golf, you at least expect me to play golf on a regular basis. Otherwise, I wouldn't tell you it's just take a stick and whack it three times, right? And the ball goes into the hole. It doesn't work that way. You see, often we, we learn things, but we don't perceive it. Uh, we hear things, but we don't really understand it. Perhaps a good example of this in the Old Testament is one of my favorite stories, and probably yours too, is David and Goliath, right? And re remember David uh, volunteered himself to fight the giant, and uh, it, and, and Saul gave him a coat of armor, and he strapped a sword over the armor, and, and David, it says that he tried in vain to go for it, for he had not tested them, right? So here, David had no practical understanding of armor. He had no understanding of using a sword. He may have played with it when he was a kid, right? Yeah, you know, but he did not understand. Why did he not understand how to use it? Because he never applied it. He says, I've never tested it, meaning I, I've never used it in battle. But he was very skilled at the slingshot. This week I was listening to something, and this guy said that uh, uh, the uh, People of the Bible, they could, they could shoot a bird out of the air with a slingshot. That's how good they got at that. Was David familiar with the slingshot? Oh, yes, he was super skilled at that. But you see, for us, we, we, we often like David, we say, I, ca I cannot do this for I have not tested it. So David put it down. David took the armor off, put the sword off, took the helmet off, because he's like, I don't know how this works. And how many of us, dear brothers and sisters, we go to a church service, we go to a Sunday school class or equipping hour or even a Bible study, we decked out there with lots of information. We put on the helmet of truth, and we have the sword of the Spirit, and then we walk to the parking lot and we take it off and we put it in the trunk of the car. We're like, I'm not going to need this stuff during the week. And so my question to you is how much of this is tested on the battlefield of life? How much of this do we say, this is really practical? This is really something that could, could work. Every Monday morning, uh, I, I sit at a coffee shop in Grand Forks, Scooter's Coffee. I call it the Scooter Society. 
and it gets people interested. And they say, uh, what, is, uh, what is Scooter Society about? I say to them, if I tell you, it's no longer a society. And so, um, so they like uh, confused, and then they come, and then I show them that this book is not just uh, knowledge, it's wisdom. Everything here can be used. Everything in this book is valuable for life and godliness. This book is meant to be loved. This book is meant to be understood. This book is, is, is like David and his slingshot. He understood how that thing worked. He could kill bears and lions, and I'm from Africa. Bears, lions are bad. Um, and he's good with what he used. And so, so we must do with biblical knowledge. It must be applied on the battlefield of life. And if it does, it will become wisdom and understanding. And with it will come discernment. It's not how much we know. It's how much we apply, really, what Paul is aiming at here. One more instance of that word, synesis, is in Luke 2.47. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Who are they talking about here? Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus in the temple, and they like, whoa, this Jesus, they don't say, whoa, he knows so much. No, it's how much he understood. He had a skill to take God's word and weave it into our lives. And they were just like, how does a 12-year-old do this? That's what we're people. Jesus didn't just have a, 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 a rote facts memorized, but he knew how all these pieces fit together and how to apply them in all areas of life. And how did Jesus get there? It says in John 4.34 that his food was doing God's will. John 6.38, he was in the business of doing God's will. And this is where our passage now translates from learning to doing, uh, or transitions, not translate, transitions from learning to doing. Verse 10. So learning God's will must also, step two, involve doing God's will. Verse 10. So that, here's the purpose. That's a purpose clause. Every, th every time you, you see a so that or that or for this reason, you know, okay, this is why we need to know this. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. So step two here in Paul's prayer is doing God's will. Paul's prayer here was not merely for people increasing in their knowledge, but rather increasing in their Christ-likeness. Paul's prayer was not to have more informed state saints, but rather more Christ-conformed saints. 
As one Greek scholar said, right conduct must be founded upon right thinking, but right thinking must also lead to right conduct. And everything here in verse 10 is about conduct, a conduct and a character that is worthy of the Lord so that we can please him in every matter in life. That word worthy, I'm not sure if that's in your translation. What do you guys use your ESV, NASB? NASB? Well, good. Okay, then that's cool. Uh, <laughs> <you> <laughs> Because I use NASB, that's why it's cool. And John MacArthur uses NASB, so that's cool too. So <laughs> the Greek word here for worthy is the word axios, okay? We, we get the word axis from that. It, 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 it speaks of a scale, okay? Think of those old scales. They had a balance, right? And what he's saying is your learning must be balanced out with living. You gotta live in a particular way that balances with the Christ you are studying. Christian learning must produce deeply held beliefs, which must be matched by conduct and character, worthy of the name of Christ. That old bishop from England, Dr. Lightfoot, said that the end of all knowledge is a change in one's conduct. Just remember, we, any attempt to live in a manner worthy of the Lord without knowledge is just presumption. It will end in Pharisaism. But we must have right knowledge, and out of right knowledge comes right conduct, and the scales will be balanced. And I wonder sometimes, too, if how much of our Bible study is in balance with what I'm learning here and thinking of, okay, I've learned for an hour, I've studied for an hour, now I need to take a few minutes to think how to apply it. Do, does that balance? Sometimes, uh, often it doesn't. Christianity and the mysteries of the Bible have often piqued the curiosity of many intelligent, inquisitive people. But the question remains, how much fruit does it produce? I've read commentaries, and I'm sure Ace have, uh, when we were at seminary, uh, thick old commentaries. Right, and you go, wow, this, 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 this is a commentary on e Ephesians that's that thick. I'm like, man, this is amazing. But you often wonder, how was this guy's life? Did his life produce the fruits worthy of what is explained here? So verses 10 and 11 uh, unlocks an interesting relationship between learning and doing and doing and growing. Growing in the knowledge of God, he says, is contingent upon the bearing of fruit in every good work. And the bearing of every fruit, uh, of fruit in every good work is contingent upon learning. 
Look at, for, at, the, at the end of verse 10. He says, bearing fruit, okay, which is character and conduct. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Here's a very interesting uh, relationship here. And, and that, this is point number three, uh, growing in God's will. You see, people often want a spiritual breakthrough. Often, uh, you know, you tune into Christian radio because you don't want to listen to anything else. And people always say, oh, I want a spiritual breakthrough. I want a deep relationship with God. And I'm like, yeah. And people pray for that. But Paul gives it here. If you want a deep, intimate relationship with God, learn about his will, do his will, and then you will understand God in a whole new way. Let me show you how that works here. Okay, so bear with me. So we've done the learning. Paul wants us to learn. He's praying that, that the people learn. He wants people to grow and bear fruit. The bearing fruit in grammatically in the Greek is active, meaning that we, we do the work there through Christ. We active in it, in the pursuits of producing f good fruit. But the second part of that verse, increasing in the knowledge of God, that is passive, which means we are the recipients. And I go, whoa, this is amazing. Why didn't somebody tell me this earlier? Increasing in the knowledge of God, that is passive. We are the recipients of this, which I go, this is amazing. And let me unpack this for you quickly. Uh, Paul is using some specific uh, vocabulary here. He uses the Greek word epinosis. So that you may increase in the epinosis, that deep knowledge Translators say this is uh, the, the epinosis speaks of a growing knowledge gained through experience and application. It is a type of knowledge that's complete, perfect, and precise. It signifies a more complete, a more thorough, and a full-orbed knowledge of God. And I go, this is absolutely amazing. And I was thinking of this one guy called Moses. Okay, think of Moses. He's at the burning bush, right? And God calls him. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so. I, I, I'm not your guy, God, right? And imagine God let him off the hook there. He's like, okay, you just go do your thing. I'll use your brother uh, Aaron, right? Do you think Moses would have known God the way that he knew God later in life? Absolutely not. So you see, do you see the key there was obedience. Through his obedience, he gained so much greater understanding of who God is. If if Bruce once stated, he said, obedience to the work of God brings further knowledge of God himself. Charles Spurgeon, he says, look at that. It seems then, speaking of this specific verse here of increasing in the knowledge of God, that holiness is the road to knowledge. What Spurgeon is saying is, if you want to know God 
more and deeper. You actually got to do what he tells you to do. It doesn't just come through head knowledge. It comes through experience, application. God has made it so. If so man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine. You'll know the deeper things of God. He says if you read and study and you can't make sense of the meaning of Scripture, get up and do something. Meaning just try and do what God is saying here and you'll get a better understanding of who God is. He says, and it may be in the doing of it, you shall discover the secret. The Gnostics were thinking that we will know the secret things of God through just accumulation of knowledge. And Paul is saying, no, it's accumulation of knowledge plus the application of knowledge that will grow you in a deeper relationship with God. And you know, dear brothers and sisters, we think that Christian growth is like a climbing Everest. We think we, we, we conquer, you know, like, I don't know, South Africa doesn't have high mountains, so I don't think that's a good example. North Dakota is not a, we've got Turtle Mountain there. But, you, you know, we think often we have to scale one mountain after another, and eventually we'll end up on Everest or or Mount Sinai. Uh, that's not how it works, really. Spiritual growth and deepening our relationship with God and having that quote-unquote spiritual breakthroughs comes through obedience in the mundane, simple, day-to-day things of life. You do the right thing. You apply the Word of God in the day-to-day things of life, in the simple things. It's amazing how much you grow in your knowledge of God. So growing in one's knowledge of God results in a stronger, more satisfied, and a more stable Christian. It says there in verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. By the way, your act of obedience is something that is done in the power of Christ. We sang that song uh, early on, through the power of the Spirit of God. We accomplish that according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Attaining steadfastness and patience and being a more even-keeled Christian is not something that just falls out of the air, but it comes through faithfully studying God's word and faithfully applying God's word. And as we are strengthened through the Spirit of God, we will also understand that our God is much bigger than we thought. You think of guys like John Bunyan, Charles Spurgeon. Adoniram Judson. I mean, what those people went through is absolutely amazing. And, and they were even killed. Adoniram Judson, uh, just, just a very even killed type of guy. And you ask, how could he say all these things about God? Well, he learned how great and amazing his God is through obedience in the hardships of life. He did the right thing, no matter the cost. You see, if you committed to doing this book, no matter the cost, 
you will discover your God is much bigger than you thought. You've got to learn things about God that you never knew before. Attaining steadfastness and patience is a result of something, not the cause of something. Steadfastness and obedience results in more steadfastness, patience, joyfulness, and thankfulness in every circumstance. Uh, as the end of verse 11 says, they're joyously giving thanks to the Father. Learning, doing, results in growing. But I want to circle back here to where everything begins and where everything ends, the gospel. It says there in verse 13, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his... Uh, sorry, let me just read this again. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, Paul circles us back where to? The, that's the gospel. Don't you ever forget the gospel. Learning is great. Doing is great. Growing is great. But without a gospel and preaching the gospel to ourselves, it could quickly become very mechanical and quickly you would pat yourself on the back and say, wow, ain't I amazing? Just remember, dear brothers and sisters, you all have a dark past. It says there, you and I were rescued from where? The domain of darkness. He rescued us. We didn't walk our way across. He rescued us. Remind yourself of the gospel. As learning and living Christians, we were once ignorant and enslaved, but now we have been redeemed through the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, we have redemption in him, and we have forgiveness of sins because of his work on the cross. As you piloting your life, circle the airfield of the gospel. Circle the airfield of the gospel. I live in Grand Forks. There's an aviation school out there. And these students, uh, I just love watching them. They just circle the airport. They're too scared <laughs> to go any further. They just stay at Grand Forks Airport. And they do it over and over and over and over. Uh, we need to do that, too, when it comes to the gospel. Just, just, just remind yourself, too. Wow. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be growing here. You and I wouldn't be sitting here. Are you not so blessed to be in a Bible-preaching church? Are you not blessed to be around discerning saints? You're the exception. I mean, if I, all the churches congregating in Minneapolis or wherever, I mean, not many. But just remind yourself, you and I won't be here if it wasn't that he rescued us, he rescued us, not vice versa. As we learn and do, we will grow to be more mature, followers of Christ, but never dare forget 
that you are a forgiven sinner. Learning is easy. Doing is hard. Taking off from an airfield is easy. Landing the airplane is hard. But dear brothers and sisters, if you learn, you do, and grow in your knowledge of God, that is so, so satisfying. You don't need some experience. You don't need some thrill. You don't need some spiritual mountaintop. It's going to be in the, in the daily life as you see God be there with you as you obey him despite the cost. Keep circling the cross of Jesus Christ and put your faith in him and remind yourself that forgiveness of sin is in him alone. And dear brothers and sisters, one more application here. Maybe today we need to learn from those pilots landed, crash landed in San Francisco. They relied on autopilot too much. How many times as Christians do we just cruise on autopilot? Well, we read the Bible. We try and do it. We come to church. We try to learn something. And we just cruise along on autopilot. But let me tell you, there's going to be a point in time that you will have to disengage the autopilot. Let me tell you, God takes us through trials because he loves us. And we have to then apply what we've learned. And so get in the habit. When you learn something, go do it. Let's thank God for the time in his word and, and for the fellowship we had in him today. Heavenly Father, we are tremendously thankful for the time we could spend with each other. We are tremendously thankful that we are here at Faith Bible Church and that we are here among saints who love the word, who, who enjoy expositional preaching, people who love doctrine. I thank you, Lord, for them, and I pray, God, that you will grow them, that you will grow them exponentially, not only in terms of their knowledge, but in their application, that they will be a bright light in this community that they live in, that they will be the salt of the earth, that you will grow this uh, church, uh, uh, not only numerically, but also spiritually in every aspect, that people will increase in their knowledge of the living God. And thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for uh, helping us learn and understand your word. And uh, we just thank you that uh, you rescued us. And uh, we, where we've, we have been if you did not rescue us. So we are very thankful for you, O Heavenly Father, for putting us in the kingdom of your beloved Son. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.